Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 120 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, college football fans and Husker fans. Hello, everybody. So we are College Football Throwdown, a father-son duo here to do a college football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. And we are here today to talk about Nebraska's confirmed new coaches to the offensive staff, as well as some of the latest news on the coaching carousel and things going on in the national world of college football. And of course, our predictions on the semifinal games and the major bowl games for this 2021 season. All right. Sounds like a good podcast. (laughs) That's right. Uh, But before we dive into all that, of course, we've got to do our tradition and crack open a beverage. Um, today I borrowed one of my roommate's beers. I have a Stella Artois, Artois, Uh, Artois, Artois, Artois. Artois. There you go. Very fancy beer. Yes, exactly. And I am drinking my favorite Four Peaks Brewing Company beverage, a malty, toasted, lovely Scottish style amber ale called Kilt Lifter. Here we go. Oh, that sounded good. <laughs> sure did. Yours, yours was a bottle. Mm-mm. No, no it it's was a, a can. can. Okay. Usually, I drink that in the bottle. That's interesting. Okay. Yep. Changing up the pace here a bit. <laughs> That's a good beer. I like that beer. Yeah. Well, good. All right. Um, so we're going to talk about the Nebraska news first this week before we dive into the uh, national discussion. And one cool thing that's related to Nebraska, even though it's not football related, is that our uh, Nebraska women's volleyball team, which has always been a uh, a perennial power uh, in the world of women's volleyball with John Cook at the helm. um, We were kind of underdogs this year going into the NCAA tournament with a lot of freshmen on our team. uh, And we were in the same bracket with Texas, the number two team in the entire country with all this athleticism. And we ended up beating everybody along our path, played against Texas this past week. And uh, we managed to beat them three sets to one. And I know dad, you were, uh, you were celebrating loud and clear for that one. Always got (laughs) to celebrate a win over Texas. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very happy. Uh, well, and it, yeah, they were, they were a number 10 seed, so it's not like they were out in the wilderness or something, but, but we clearly have had our struggles this year as we try to transition to this new group of players, young, talented, but inexperienced. Um, and it's just so awesome to watch a coach like John Cook take a group of athletes uh, and slowly figure out how to get them and mold them to be the best that they can be at this point, you know, right here at tournament time. And he's, he really is phenomenal about doing that, about getting to that point. And uh, we'll see. I mean, we got three freshmen who are significant contributors and a fourth one who, who's really quite regular as well. And uh, you know, they all played well in that match against Texas because we needed them all to. You know, if any of them do a little less than they did, we probably lose. Now, the question is, can they rise to that occasion, you know, consistently in these next two matches that we would re- would be required for us to win a championship? That's that's a tall order. But you know what? You take it one point at a 
time, just like John says. <laughs> One point at a time. That's right. All right. So transitioning away from the volleyball, then back to the world of football. Um, we referenced this on our last week's podcast that uh, there were heavy rumors at the time that were recorded about who our new offensive coordinator and offensive line coach were going to be. Um, but we didn't discuss it then because it wasn't confirmed and we had other things on the agenda. Uh, and just after our podcast, it was officially confirmed. So now we can dive into it fully that Mark Whipple from Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's offensive coordinator is now going to be our offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And then on the offensive line, we have Donovan Riola from the Chicago bears in the NFL. Right. And both of those are hires that have produced both great applause and great consternation among uh, Husker fans. Uh, because you know, you can, uh, the, the glass is half full, glass is half empty as you look at each of these hires. In the case of Whipple, he is a, a very experienced coach, has been coaching for a long time, has coached at, at a number of levels, has been a head coach multiple times, and has been you know a, a, a lot of different positions within the offense and a lot of time as an offensive coordinator. Uh, some um, time in the NFL and a lot of time in the college ranks and even back to high school. So he's been a coach for many, many years. He knows his stuff. Uh, and, um, you know, he's established his own reputation, right? So he's not somebody that Scott will have to, uh, bring along or that would defer to Scott, which is kind of what a lot of people hoped would happen, that Scott would truly turn over the offense to someone else and then empower them to do that so that Scott could focus on the team aspect of stuff that, seems to be slipping through the cracks quite regularly for Nebraska. So so that's the, the criticism is he hasn't been gr a great success, right? The, there's a reason why he's still an offensive coordinator. He was a bad head coach, right? He never, he never um, lasted very long as a head coach. Now, part of that was he moved around a lot. And, um, um, you know, he was at, at a place for two or three years, and then, then he was someplace else for two or three years. But you know what? That's the world of coaching. I mean, there's a lot of people that have resumes that look like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but but well, he's older, and yeah. he's near the end of his career. Yeah, and I, I you know, we can hold his offensive coordinator uh, successes against him, I think, in our evaluation of the hire. But in terms of as a head coach, you know, I don't know how much of that specifically carries over to – uh, being a coordinator, right? Because there have been so many examples of people that were great as coordinators, but terrible as head coaches. And then, you know, head coaches that get fired from a place and then go back to being a coordinator somewhere else, you know, and they're able to succeed, right? Correct. There, there are a lot of different uh, uh, skill sets required between those two roles. And so you're absolutely right. And he's coming off of a year, which was a high year for for him personally, because he had a Heisman Trophy finalist there at Pitt playing quarterback. Uh, so then it, it becomes a question of, is it the chicken or the egg, right? Uh, did he have a successful year calling plays at Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh had uh, an incredible talent at quarterback that's going to be playing on Sundays? Or did he uh, significantly contribute to this particular player's development and put him in a position to be successful. And, you know, that's the debatable question, right? Right. Um, one interesting little side note 
um, because this was with Pittsburgh, I believe, in their conference championship game against Wake Forest, that quarterback that you're talking about um, had a play where he took it and ran it. And then uh, as the Wake Forest guys were getting close to him to tackle him, he kind of feigned like he was going to go in for a dive, you know, and they kind of backed off. But he just kind of fainted it, and then he kept going and got you know some extra yards because of it. I think he might have even scored a touchdown off that. Um, and that came up uh, under scrutiny, of course, uh, complaints from Wake Forest and other folks watching, and the NCAA did implement a rule specifically saying that you can't do that. Right. I- I'm surprised that that wasn't already addressed. I- I'm shocked that that slide rule didn't already have the specific um, – exception where if someone goes and and makes that attempt to fake like they're going to slide but then continues to run after the other players have kind of eased off uh that that would be a flag it should be it absolutely should be yep but since it since it wasn't that was brilliant right no it was if the rule if the rule wasn't there then by golly absolutely yep Uh, yeah i agree with you it's a good rule change for sure um I'll admit I haven't, you know, I haven't been watching much of Pittsburgh this particular season, but the fact that they did win the ACC this year, right, beating Clemson yep. and all that, you know, it's yep. an impressive, uh, impressive year for them. And like you say, we knew that Scott wanted to kind of hand the the offensive system over to uh, a coach and kind of be more hands off. On the offense, so giving it to a guy with a lot of experience seems good. Also, the fact that he's apparently going to be our offensive coordinator and a quarterback's coach. You know, if he did play a role in that player's development at Pitt, you know, into this good quarterback, then obviously that'd be a good sign for him developing our younger guys. Um, so, yeah, it seems like, you know, not 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 a blow your head off, you know, amazing, crazy hire, but a good solid right. hire. Yep. Uh, well, and again, given Scott's situation and this gentleman and his age and everything, and he's he's used to and comfortable with the, you know, short stint. His his resume suggests that. So uh, he's an offensive coordinator for hire, and we hired him. So let's see what happens. And if we if he's able to create some stability within the the offensive system without changing it so much. That that everybody has to start from ground zero, which I don't believe he will, because a lot of his concepts are concepts that we use. Um, then, and he maybe will adopt some of what Scott was doing, and they'll be able to collaborate and come up with a combined system that is quite remarkable, maybe. You know, and if that were the case, then he coaches for two or three years, helps Scott, you know, solidify his situation in Nebraska, and uh, and then he goes off into the sunset or whatever if if he wants to. So I think it's an ideal situation as opposed to getting a young, younger OC who might have a long-term uh, look outlook. And, you know, Scott's not got the stability right now to, to, to offer that. So I think this was um, a reasonably good hire. Obviously, no one's going to know until after next year's done. But uh, as choices go, given what his limits were, I think Scott did pretty well on that hire. Yep. Now the the other hire is Donovan Rayola. And Donovan is well known among among Husker fans mostly because his older brother Dominic was one of Nebraska's great offensive linemen and a Remington award winner uh as as a center at Nebraska 
and then became a very successful professional football player. Most of his time, I believe, if not all of it, spent at uh, uh, the Detroit Lions. And uh, as you know, that means that he didn't win any Super Bowls. Uh, <laughs> very true. But, but he was kind of a fixture and, and an anchor for that offensive line for almost, well, more than a decade. Um, and so both Dominic and Donovan, the new coach, um, you know, uh, come from Hawaii and have a lineage there, which, uh, can be a very important recruiting aspect for us going forward. And Donovan's a young coach. So he's a guy that's still developing. Right. And, uh, but he, he has great enthusiasm. Uh, the hope is, is that he could be a dynamic recruiter and that he's coming from, uh, a recent NFL, you know, history so that he can, uh, bring, you know, the latest and greatest concepts. And because he was an offensive center, the thing about an offensive center is they really do have to know what everyone else is doing. Because usually in most offenses, the center is the guy that's making the calls about what he's seeing, what kind of shifts he's seeing in the defensive line, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And so that's a guy that probably knows what all the steps and techniques are of the guard positions and the tackle positions. He's also the guy that needs to be able to recognize defensive fronts. And so having a guy with that level of knowledge is a very good place to start if you're going to be an offensive line coach, right? So yeah. that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. Seems like another, you know, solid choice. And I think it's smart for Scott to, you know, go with a mix of old experience as well as more youthful dynamism, right? Because you need uh, those younger guys to be able to recruit, right? And all that right. stuff. Um, does Donovan have previous experience at the collegiate level before he went to the NFL? Uh, I think he, yes, his resume did have a, a, a small amount of that, but not extensive. No. And then he was an assistant uh, offensive line coach at the, at the, at the professional level. So he doesn't have an enormous resume. Like I said, he's, he's still just getting started. You know, he was playing, he was a player not that long ago in the NFL. And now he's just a few years removed from that, like maybe four or five years removed. So, so he doesn't have a huge resume, but given his lineage and, uh, and the position that he played, I don't think he's going to lack knowledge. And from everything that people have described him as, he sounds like he's a great communicator. So we'll, uh, we'll get to see how that all plays out. Mm -hmm. We certainly will. And so that leaves uh, two spots still open on our offensive staff. One, you would expect to be uh, our running backs coach to fill that particular position. And then the last one was our former quarterbacks coach, but clearly that role is already being filled by Whipple, our offensive coordinator. And, right. uh, so that that kind of spot is still kind of up for grabs. Um, of course, all of us here at uh, uh, College Football Throwdown HQ are uh, hoping for a special teams coordinator to properly give the time and attention needed to fix our special team situation. And Scott has, you know, floated that possibility, but is not committed to it yet. That is correct. He keeps saying he wishes he could have a special teams coordinator. But the setup now, so just for clarification, Alex, um, actually, so we have nine coaches now. So we only have one coaching position left to fill, only one. And currently, we do not have a running backs coach named, nor do we have a special teams coach named. So we either need to name a guy 
as both running backs and special teams. Okay. Which would not appease the folks who, um, um, you know, want to be, uh, want a full-time special teams coach. Right. Um, and if you named a running backs coach and didn't have a special teams coach and then divided special teams among all the coaches, that's basically what we've already had with one person kind of having the designation of being special teams coordinator, but, but with a variety of assistants taking ownership for segments of the special teams, uh, that's basically what we've had over these recent years. The, the challenge really is that we currently have a defensive staff that has, we, we've committed that that special teams position to a defensive player position uh we don't really have it set up for an offense you know we 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 can't give up another offense coach position we need to give up a defensive coach position now where you're confusing me right is that scott fired four people right yes and he's hired three who okay so who's the third oh okay that's mickey joseph our wide receiver coach. Okay. okay. Yeah. And Mickey is a past Nebraska player, uh, was the wide receivers coach for LSU and for the last few years um, under Orgeron. And, uh, and, and has been, uh, uh, is known as a great recruiter um, and is, a, is a, a Husker legacy, obviously. Was a, an incredible quarterback uh, back in the day. Uh, he was the number one quarterback in high school coming out of high school. He was the number one option quarterback in the country. And he, and it came down to us in Oklahoma and he chose us on signing day of his high school senior year. It was a big, big deal back then, but I'm telling you that was nuts. <laughs> you remember it well, clearly. Oh, I do. I absolutely remember the day that Mickey committed to Nebraska and signed. It was a big, big deal. Uh, now his career did not end up being quite as good as people had hoped. And part of that was in a game, I think his junior year uh, against Oklahoma, um, he got tackled out of bounds. I mean, it, they, the guys tackled him and literally carried him all the way into the benches uh, of, the, um, um, of the Oklahoma Sooners bench. And the benches back then were those metal uh, right. benches. And he, he, last, uh, he got a laceration on his leg that like, cut all the way through his muscle and everything in his calf or in his, uh, yeah, in his calf area, lower leg, just totally ruined him. I mean, I mean, it was, it was gruesome. It was gruesome. I wonder there might be a video of that somewhere on YouTube or something where somebody could, but it was, it was awful. And that was the end of, uh, of Mickey Joseph. Please tell me it was at least flagged. Nope. I don't think it was. What? Oh my God. <laughs> I don't think it was. I don't oh, even think brother. it was. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So I missed, I missed that particular coaching announcement. I yeah. Guess. So, uh, so there's some questions here now. So they could, for example, reorganize on offense to say, okay, we're going to have uh, Mickey do wide receivers and tight ends as receivers. And then we're going to have, you know, Donovan Reala take tight end blocking and then take Sean Beckton, who's our tight ends coach, and make him our running backs coach, uh, okay, or something like that, which would reshuffle the deck, and then still allow. Then we'd have a uh, an additional position to make a special teams coordinator. So we could do something like that. Or what more likely uh, could or should happen 
is that you would find a way to get it out of the defensive staff. And that probably is easier to happen if one of the defensive coaches chooses on their own to leave, which might very well happen. It would not shock me as all these changes happen in head coaches that some of our, frankly, better defensive coaches are presented with an opportunity and leave the staff to go get a, a, a new opportunity that has more stability, right? And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden a defensive position is open and maybe we can reshuffle the deck of our defensive coaches and use that to go special teams. So that's actually what I think Scott's planning is he's anticipating that he's probably going to lose at least one defensive coach. And so he may go ahead and uh, I think he's got a running backs coach in his pocket in Ron Brown that he could take uh, and would be content to have Ron be our running backs coach at least for a, a year or two. Um, so he doesn't have to announce that fourth coach until other things play out. If it turns out that one of our defensive coaches leaves, then he can reorganize things. If none of those do leave, then maybe he needs to um, make Ron Brown, um, you know, the running backs coach, or they do the or reorganizing thing with Sean Beckton and Mickey Joseph. I, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of ways he could go. Sounds like it. Okay. It, it's intriguing. It's actually intriguing. And I think it'll be, very, it's a very critical decision for Scott in this whole re, re, revitalization. And, you know, I was talking with a good friend of mine who, you know, Brian Clower, he's been on our podcast before actually as a guest and uh, is a huge uh, University of Michigan fan. And of course they are the big 10 champions this year and are in the college football playoff. And he spoke to me and, you know, made, brought some very good points up about the fact that just remember 12 short months ago, there was an awful lot of t- discussion about Harbaugh being on the hot seat mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, Harbaugh did a, a fairly significant, I mean, way more than even Scott has embarked on. I mean, he, he really cleaned house with his offensive staff. I think he ended up getting like eight out of 10 new coaches. He, I think he only kept one or two guys, if that from his staff. And he, he created a whole new set of coaches and magically, one year later, they're Big Ten champions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, now he was in a different situation. His team was full of talent. And he had continued to recruit at a very high level. So he knew he had talent on his team. He just felt it was underperforming and he needed to revitalize his staff. And he was able to successfully do that. And he's out of the woods, I believe, at this point. So the hope would be that there is a path that's been shown for Scott that, hey, you you make the right choices here, and then you guys and you give them the vision, and 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 you and then you get out of the way and let them be the coach, and you be the head coach, all right, and coach the coaches, and and manage personality and and team culture, then then we're we're into something here, right? And next year we win seven or eight games, and because we have a schedule that that at least opens the possibility to that, and now you got a little stability, and then you kind of build from there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and when Scott's uh, new contract details got announced, and the fact that he was extended everything, I brought that up on the podcast because Jim Harbaugh went through something very similar, right? Where his pay was cut yep. significantly and, you know, his contract was kind of redone and the expectation was set that, you know, I don't think it was to the same extent of Scott where it's like, you know, by game six, we're going to evaluate if we're going to fire you or not. But, but, right. you know, but it was a pretty significant shift like you said and he ma- clearly he managed to pull it off so um you know i don't i don't anticipate something that dramatic from scott but also scott doesn't have to you know become uh big 10 champions 
next year, right? Next year. We just need like seven wins, you know. Right. We we need to we need to win seven regular season games and then play in a bowl game, a moderate bowl game, and win it. So that we end up with a, you know, eight and five season, right? Something like that. Uh, with some optimism that um, you know, with that, that that leads to some positive recruiting performance. Uh, both in the portal areas as well as in the traditional freshman class recruiting and and start building on a on a philosophy and a you know stability that says okay now we see a path where Nebraska can be competitive again and then once we get the competitive then the bar raises again right oh yeah and that's just the way it would go but but we need to get there first so we can't even be talking about Big Ten West championships or Big Ten championships until we can get competitive. And then we can start talking about that. And so, and Scott's got a very short window to do this in. So I hope he um, senses c- truly and completely the urgency that he has to have. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty clear to him. I mean, it's very clear to us as fans. You would yeah. think internally, uh, there's more, it's more apparent, <laughs> you know, there's things he yep. knows that we don't. Um, yep. one, one positive sign I have seen in some of our, uh, recruiting and stuff as we're getting close here to the early signing day, that's actually this Wednesday, the 15th. Um, I saw, I think we got another, it was either a punter or a kicker. Um, and, uh, you know, so I see that as when we talked about a five star that apparently we got, uh, committed to us last week for kicking. So I'm glad to see that clearly the coaching staff is making that a priority, you know, getting some new blood in the, in the special teams game, um, whether that, you know, uh, equates to a special teams coordinator is another matter, but at least we are pursuing that. Right. No, I, I would agree with you. And, and it's going to, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, and the thing that's going to be challenging for us is, uh, you know, the, the negative recruiting that's going on, the, 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 the Scots uh, dead man walking, uh, you know, um, concept or idea is in everybody's heads across the country. The media, it's there. It's everywhere. So Scott has a and his staff have a huge uphill battle to climb to overcome that. And the only way to do that is to win on the field. All the other crap means nothing now. OK, you can't sell promise or future vision or any of that until you start winning on the field. And he knows that. So, so this is the down and dirty time now, you know, he's got to get people that want to be part of the reason that this sleeping giant in Nebraska awakens, you know, that would be the best message I could give somebody is, Hey, you come to Nebraska and, and you be part of the team that because, you know, you're an experienced player that's got two years left or only one year left, but you come in and, and you're part of what makes us transition um, you know, to uh, a winning football team and going to a bowl game, man, the people in Nebraska will love you forever, right? I mean, you will you will be able to hang around and get great NIL and all that because they'll love you. I mean, imagine if Toure wasn't a super senior. Imagine if he had only been a sophomore, right? And we still had two years of him, right? What, what would Toure's NIL possibilities be in Lincoln next year? You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's definitely true. You know, so the, that's that's what they got to sell. Yep, yep. I mean, the passion of Nebraska fans, you know, both for good and for ill, uh, is you know 
one of it's the real. selling points of, yeah. of, of Nebraska. You know, getting to play in front of a sold-out crowd every single home game, you know, there's there's a good number of places that can say that, you know, but uh, not not too not so many on the level of you know record that we've been having recently, right? What other team is selling out their crowds when they have three and four win seasons? Right, exactly. Oh yeah. Well, and uh, the running joke again, we we are the best three and nine football team in history. <laughs> yep, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, statistically, everyone would agree with that. Yep, for whatever that's worth. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so transitioning now to the national side of things, um, we talked about some of the coaching changes that have shaken up college football last week. And one of the big open questions was uh, who is going to be the new head coach at Oregon since their coach ended up going to Miami. Um, we got the answer to that this past week. Um, they ended up getting Dan Lanning from Georgia. He was Georgia's defensive coordinator, and now he's heading over to Oregon, uh, which I commented to you was kind of interesting because when you think about Oregon, what do you think of? You think of the spread offense, you know, pass it all over the place, super aggressive offense, uh, and you don't think so much about their defense. And here's a clearly a very good defensive mind coming over to Oregon. So I'm curious right. to see if, is he really going to try to implement something different or is he going to adapt his style to the Oregon style? You know? Well, I, I think he's going to bring his defense with him. There's no doubt about that. I don't think he's going to go out there to Oregon and change the way he tries to approach things defensively, but he's clearly a great recruiter because he wouldn't have been on the Georgia staff without it because that's a prerequisite, especially for the powers in the sec I mean, that's that's one of the things that separates them from everybody else is uh, that they have learned how to put a premium on coaches who are exceptional recruiters because they understand that, um, yes, you win and scheme with X's and O's, but you win the game with the Jimmies and the Joes. And, uh, and that is uh, number one. And that has been the number one thing for Oregon for quite some time. That's been one of their aces in the hole because of all the bling and things that they can promote about their situation up there in Eugene. Um, now, the, what I would guess is he's probably, well, I, I haven't watched it close enough to see what's happened to the, the offensive coaches from uh, Oregon. How many of them stayed and are going to be hired by this new coach? Or how many of them followed Cristobal down to Miami? Mm-hmm. That is important, and I, I didn't, I, I didn't, uh, I, I have to admit that I don't, don't have the details on that. But I think that would be significant in figuring out what is, what is this new coach going to do with Oregon's offense? Because if all those guys are gone, well, then he's got a clean slate. He can go out and hire, you know, an offensive coordinator of his choosing. Um, but um, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. One other interesting coaching rumor that's just come out is. Apparently there's some sort of report, you know, saying they had insider knowledge that uh, the Chicago Bears were reaching out behind the scenes to Ryan Day at Ohio State to try to get him to come into the NFL. And of course, today, Ryan Day denied it in some sort of press conference thing. Um, but we all know from past experience that that doesn't mean it's not happening. Um, you mentioned that you think 
this might have something to do with the fact that Riley, Lincoln Riley, is now at USC, and he was uh, kind of on the tip of everyone's tongue in terms of possible NFL coach. Um, so what do you make of this rumor? Right. I, I think you're going to – I don't I don't think this is going to be the last one that you hear where Ryan, Ryan Day's name is going to come up as being a guy that NFL teams are interested in. Um, and, um, uh, and, and I think the, the, the Lincoln Riley connection is simply that whoever the hot coach is in, in the, in the collegiate ranks, especially if they're known, uh, for their offense, um, then, then they're going to get a lot of NFL inquiry. Right. And so, um, it takes a little longer for defensive, you know, geniuses to, to rise through and, and then get that attention from an NFL head coaching perspective. But um, I just think that uh, he's going to be the hot commodity probably for the next couple of years, uh, although it'll be really important that he come back next year with a, a, a successful season like he had this year, Ryan Day I'm speaking of, because he's made some changes on his defensive staff uh, already, even midseason he made changes. So, so – uh, it'll be curious to see how that all plays out, and can they get back on the winning ways against uh, Michigan, or has Michigan turned the t- turn the corner? Next year will determine that. Yeah, that's very true, and we of course hope to see uh, Michigan not fall back into the same decade of losing to Ohio State that we've seen up till now. A- actually, I would love that. <laughs> I would love that, and here's why: um, we just got off, we being Nebraska just came off uh, a period of six years of scheduling. Actually, it turned out to be eight because we played them the, the two years prior to um, um, this new schedule being created after um, Rutgers and Maryland got involved. But uh, Ohio State has been our designated crossover for the last six years. Okay, Next year, we do not play Ohio State for the first time in six years. But guess who our new designated rival is for the next six years starting next year? Michigan. And Michigan. And who did we play this year? Michigan. Michigan. So we will play Michigan seven years in a row. Now, tell me how many times Iowa, uh, Wisconsin, and Minnesota have played Michigan and Ohio State You know, over the last 12 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I and I'm going to tell you it's less than Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. And 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 here we are. We're going to do it for another six years. Now we're going to have Michigan on our schedule every year. Yeah. The, the, the scheduling system is is absurd. So I don't w- I don't want Michigan to just figure it out and become the the big bully of the Big Ten East, just as we're putting them on our schedule for the next six years. I yep. would rather have the Michigan team we played this year or in previous years that was still trying to find themselves. Hmm. Nope. I, I see where you're coming from there. We actually, when we were together for Thanksgiving, we did a little looking ahead to some of our future schedules. I believe it was the 2024 season for Nebraska is another mm-hmm. really tough schedule. Um, and then we looked at like Wisconsin, Wisconsin had a pretty tough schedule. And then Iowa, of course, had like a piss easy, ridiculous schedule right. compared to yep. us. Well, ne- Nebraska plays, uh, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, and wasn't it Michigan State? No, no, it was just those three. Yeah, Penn State, then Ohio State, then Michigan, 
in order in three consecutive weeks. No, no, uh, by week, um, by week or anything in between three straight weeks. Those three teams we play boom, boom, and boom. Now in that same year, uh, Wisconsin does also play those three somehow. Right. Or at least two of those three. Right. I, um, yeah, I think it was those three maybe, but it wasn't all in not a row. in order, not, a, not all in a row. Exactly. That, which is a big deal. And then, and then in that same year, Iowa's crossovers were like Rutgers and Maryland. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, we, crap. <laughs> we've got to have a, you know, well, we might have to look way out in advance. But we've got to have some easy schedules coming our way eventually. <laughs> well, you, you would think, but uh, by then, you know, the, uh, the road grader has already cleared the level of the, of the ground and, and our, our empire is dust. So, um, <laughs> you know, there now see what I think is going to happen is by the time that Nebraska has gone through this gauntlet, uh, then they'll get smart as a, as a, uh, as a big 10 conference and say, God, we got to do something about the schedule. And it's just so uneven. And then they'll figure out a way to make it more even, but we will have not reaped any of the benefit because there will have been a decade or more where it was not even, and they let it go because they needed it because that was the TV contract. Mm -hmm. As much as I'm a Jim Delaney fan for what he did in terms of helping uh, facilitate the process of Nebraska getting into the league and getting all the money that he did from the TV contracts, I, I bemoan him for the fact that he, he left a legacy of an extremely unbalanced um, scheduling system and not just in football. There's some other things I could point to as well. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll leave those for another time. Exactly. Um, last uh, big national news we want to go ahead and mention here is, of course, the Heisman Trophy ceremony happened this past week. And it wasn't too surprising that uh, Bryce Young from Alabama ended up winning it. Um, he played amazing in that game against uh, Georgia. Georgia. Um, yeah, he did. Yeah, so when I when I was watching that game, I'm like, oh boy, he he's probably gonna win, isn't he? Um, you know, so yeah, not too surprising. I did see there were some. Uh, I think there was a, a defensive player from uh, Michigan actually got the second most votes. Um, so that was kind of heartening to see. Although I then saw a tweet from a Nebraska fan who said, "Annual reminder of the fact that Indomitian Sue got gypped out of the Heisman Trophy." And he posted Indomitian Sue's insane stats, you know, from that year. Right, right. Well, and and uh, if it's the same tweet I saw, you know, what he did was this was Indomitian Sue's numbers, and then this was the numbers of Alabama's entire defensive line. Uh, on a national championship team. This is Texas' uh, uh, entire defensive line on a year that they won the national championship. I mean, it was it was the entire teams, the top three teams or whatever of that, that year, and then Indomitian Sue's individual statistics. <laughs> yeah. and, they, and he matched up pretty well. <laughs> no, he did. He surpassed well, them the in some ways. Well, there was, uh, there, was a, there was some national pundit who basically said the, uh, the Heisman Trophy – stopped being uh, an award for the most outstanding college football player when Indomitian Sue didn't receive it. It is now simply uh, the uh, award given to the best quarterback on the best team every year Uh, because in many ways it has become that. You have to be one of the top two or three teams in the country and you have to play quarterback 
to win the award, you know. Um, now, I, I will concede that there here's been recently a defensive player who won it, uh, but it wasn't in Dominican. I don't even remember who it was. I have stopped paying attention to the the award for that reason. When Indomica didn't, it, it diminished in my mind. It doesn't mean as much as it used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think because they, they screwed it up. Yeah, well, yeah, you're not alone in that regard, you know. And I think if you asked any of the folks running the Heisman today, in retrospect, they'd say, "Yeah, that was a mistake." Um, but you know, it, what's done is done, right? You can't go back. So exactly. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to talk about some of these upcoming games. Uh, this is our last remote podcast here before we get into the holidays next week. I'll be traveling back to Michigan to see you and we'll get to do a podcast in person, which will be fun. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we've got the, uh, some of the bowl games to predict here and talk about as well as of course the semifinal games for the college football playoff. Um, and I've written down here some of the the bigger bowl games. Um, this was kind of interesting uh, for Clemson, who obviously you know was expected to be in the playoff this year, but uh, struggled quite a lot for their standards to the point now that they're playing in the Cheez It Bowl with Iowa State. Yes, exactly. Well, and, and but here's the thing: they righted that ship. I mean, I think uh, if you've got their record in front of you, I think it's like they were nine and three. Right, I think that's. They ended up only losing like three games, and one of the games they lost was to to Georgia, who's obviously a good football team. So you start doing the math on that. They didn't tumble as far as people think they did. They did struggle against some of these lesser teams, and so that's that was the shocker, right? When they were struggling to beat Syracuse and you know some other uh, teams that had been historically middle of the road or or so ACC squads, that's what was the more shocking thing was the, was the scores themselves. Not necessarily did they win or lose, but that they didn't dominate. Right, right. I'm looking here at their record, and yeah, you're right. They've only, they lost three times, um, yep. which was to Pitt, to Georgia, like you mentioned, and then to uh, NC State. In overtime, okay. I think that was probably right. the surprising one. That's that's right. Now you know there's no no harm in losing to the the team that ends up winning the ACC championship, right? So all of a sudden you you relook at that that awful season by Clemson, and it's maybe not so bad, right? And I and I suspect I'll, we'll see them bounce back, and they will uh, look pretty good again next year because they still have a ton of talent on that team. Um, yeah. Now with the with with this new reality of the portal and that sort of stuff, you know, uh, things aren't as stable as they used to be. So I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's more unpredictability in that how that all plays out. But I still believe the culture at at uh, um, Clemson will um, you know um, do the do their thing. But but keep in mind, Clemson lost their defensive coordinator and the, I believe their offensive coordinator. So they're going to be having some major transition going on within their coaching staff, not only for this bowl game, but going into next season, obviously. Very true. Very true. Um, Another interesting one, including a Big Ten team this time, is Wisconsin is playing against Arizona State in the Vegas Bowl. Wow. Okay. Now, I had the opportunity to go to attend an Arizona State game. And and I got to tell you, Wisconsin's defense – is probably going to break the Arizona State quarterback in half. 
I swear to you, that Arizona State quarterback, his name is Daniels, and he's quick, but he is the tiniest dude I've ever seen. His <laughs> his legs are look like they're the thickness of my arms. I mean, he is one lean dude. He, now, he's Gumby, man. He he can twist and do crazy stuff, but, but uh, I'd hate to see what happens with that tough Wisconsin defense breaking him in half. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely might be a factor. Um, yeah, I'd like to think that Wisconsin should be able to win that. Of course, their kind of surprise loss to Iowa, I think, took all of us off guard. So You mean um, uh, um, to, um, not Iowa, uh, Minnesota. We lost to Iowa on that day. Oh, that's that right. You're correct. It was Minnesota. It was, yep. it was Minnesota that they lost to. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see how they bounce back from that. I, guess. I agree. Um, and then uh, in the Outback Bowl, we've got Penn State versus Arkansas from the SEC. Uh, and that, that sounds like a good game. Yeah. Yeah. Penn, you know, Penn State's a bit, bit down this year. They're not actually ranked. Arkansas is ranked 21st, according to this. So um, that should be an interesting one. Uh, and then. Uh, and, and what bowl game was that? Outback? Outback Bowl. Yep. See, see that that's a nice bowl game to go to. For those two teams, given where they're ranked, you know what I mean. That's it's pretty mm-hmm. good. Yeah, not bad. Uh, and then uh, Michigan State is playing against that uh, ACC champion. We were just talking about Pittsburgh in the Peach Bowl this year. Yes. Okay. That that'll be an interesting game too. That'll be a very interesting game because obviously Pitt's done some really good things. Uh, Narduzzi, the head coach at Pitt, was a longtime defensive coordinator at Michigan State. So he knows the program. He knows, you know, uh, a little bit about what's going on there. But obviously, he was there under um, D'Antonio, so all the coaches are different and everything. But still, um, he understands Michigan State's mentality and and what they want to try to accomplish. So, so that'll be interesting to see. But if Michigan State shows up healthy and with that running back ready to go, uh, they might uh, make some noise in that game. They certainly would. They certainly would. Uh, in the Alamo Bowl this year, this is one of the matchups I'm most looking forward to. We've got Oregon against Oklahoma, uh, both teams that have lost their head coaches now uh, and kind of had disappointing seasons by their standards. Uh, so with Oklahoma having you know lost some of those players that we talked about last week right to transferring and all that stuff, uh, I'm kind of curious to see how that one's going to play out. Yeah, me too. And and again, this gets back to in this new era of the college football playoff, where the only the only bowl games that really matter are those two semifinals in the eyes of an awful lot of people, and regretfully most of the players, most of the athletes now. So if if you're a team at Oklahoma and you're a starter that's a senior, and this is your last game before you go on to either whatever's next in your life or go on in pursuit of an NFL career, you know, how much are you focused on that versus how much are you focused on just staying healthy and avoiding injury? Um, So, uh, you know, this is one of those things where which team really wants to be there? Yep, that's true. And I think we've already already started to see some headlines of, you know, X player is sitting out of the whole game and things like that. So we'll we'll see how that affects some of these teams when we're closer to those uh, games. 
Um, this is one I'm actually going to throw a score prediction on just because I think it's a cool matchup of two, you know, uh, well-regarded, you know, uh, historically speaking, well-regarded teams. Um, even though Oklahoma has lost some of those players and obviously had the, all the chaos of uh, Lincoln Riley stepping away, I know that uh, Bob Stoops has kind of stepped in, right, to be the interim coach for this bowl game. And obviously we know he's a very experienced and talented coach and all that. Um, and with how badly Oregon got trounced twice by Utah to end their season, I can't believe that they're going to be able to bounce back from that, you know, playing their best football. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and predict that Oklahoma wins. Although I don't know if it'll be a, a big win um, in terms of score. So I'll go ahead and say that Oklahoma ends up winning uh, 45 Oklahoma to uh, 35 Oregon. Interesting. Now, here's the thing that you didn't mention in that description of that game. And I don't know the answer either, so maybe you know more. Um, and that is, who's coaching Oregon for this bowl game? Is the new coach, did the new coach leave Georgia and go immediately and no. he's going to coach in the bowl game? No, he didn't Or leave. is it, okay, so he's sticking around and going to be still with Georgia since Georgia's in the playoff. And uh, and so that means that Oregon is being coached by some interim assistant who already has been passed over for the head coaching job. So it's not one of those situations where he's auditioning, right? Um so I would have to agree with you that if I'm looking at those two staffs, I'm going to say Oklahoma is where I would lean. Uh, but again, the the whole upheaval in Oklahoma, uh, it could be one of those where they just don't show up with their hearts in it. And then, and then, you know, they get rolled, but, but I think that's almost a 50, 50 equal possibility for either one of these teams. So so I'm going to – I would agree with you. I'm going to go with the Bob Stoops coach team and go with Oklahoma as well. And, I, in fact, I would say that I think that one of these teams is going to give up. So whoever has success early and can get ahead of the other one, I think the other team will give it up. So I think it's going to be a big score. Uh, so I'll, I'll say it's going to be 40, 45 to like 17. Okay, interesting. Um, I did just confirm that I was indeed correct about Dan Lanning staying with uh, Georgia for the you know playoff, mm-hmm. and apparently he is the youngest Power Five head coach in the nation at age thirty-five. Well, that is young. Yeah. Yep. Well, they're they're swinging for the fences again. I think some of these schools, and and I wonder about this for uh with for our athletic director if in fact he is in the market next year is, is that to go ahead and make the decision to go after a young developing head coach in the hopes that you're going to invest in them long-term because you're going to buy them cheap, right? Because they don't have a history because they're not a reputable, they don't have the reputation yet. They have a good up and coming reputation, you know, potentials there but they don't, they don't have the pedigree and the resume to demand the big bucks, right? So you're able to sign them up for um, a little below the, the stupid, absurd rates that are going on for people like Lincoln Riley and uh, whoever that other guy was. Well, hell, even Mel Tucker. I mean, Mel Tucker's done a good job at Michigan State, but is he deserving of almost $10 million a year? That's just crazy. 
Right. So, so I think you get somebody for half that, uh, who's still happy to happy to do it because they don't have a resume that makes them feel like that's a disrespectful or something. And then, and then as they succeed and improve and mature, you hang with them because you can afford to. Now, so, uh, that'd be I, interesting. It would be interesting. I don't think it would look good optically, though, for Nebraska, because we already took the financially smart, austere, you know, uh, uh, decision this year, right, by not firing Scott for the larger money and instead giving him one more year and bringing his money down for next year and all that. So I think if Trev Alberts, uh, if it doesn't go well and Scott does get fired, then Trev Alberts, again, you know, does something kind of on the cheap, you know, to get, yeah, some younger guy. Uh, I think some Nebraska fans would call BS on that. And number oh, two, yeah. we're, we're coming off of Scott Frost being hired, right? Uh, who was obviously a very hot commodity right after that UCF undefeated season, uh, but was still a very young head coach, right? Um, right. And, you know, in that scenario, obviously it hasn't worked out. Uh, so right. I think there would be more pressure on him to get somebody with more experience, kind of like uh, Baylor's head coach, who we talked about last week, we thought might oh. be going to Oregon. He's yeah. still available. Well, well, he's not available. He's obviously the Baylor coach, but but yes, uh, you're right. Uh, I mean, I think we're going to have two choices here next year if we if it does come to that, and that would be to go big and go after somebody like Aranda and and then likely have to pay him top dollar to get him. Or uh, I think there is a very real possibility that if you're a young athletic director like Trev Albers at a place that's a that's your destination school, you know this is not this is not a stepping stone athletic director job for Trev Albers. This is his destination. This is where he wants to be, and probably would like to visualize he and his family being in that role as AD for decades at Nebraska, and he's young enough that he could. Okay, so so he wants to find a coach that will have a tenure potentially right along with him that's long and and successful. So, so I still think that there's going to be a strong desire on on his part to get a younger coach. Now, Dave Aranda is not necessarily an old coach. I mean, he's not young like Scott was young, but he's not old. So he's a guy that you could hire with the idea that he's going to be with you for 15 years or something like that if he turned it around. And I just love the way he speaks. I like his mentality. I, that's all the part. Th those are the things I like about him. And he's a, he's obviously a brilliant defensive mind, which I'm, I'm always a fan of great defense. So, so uh, a powerful offense and a great defense. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, we'll, we'll pass the Dave Aranda bus a few times along the road here in the next 12 months, I suspect. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Um, switching back over to the bowl games, uh, we've also yes. got the Citrus Bowl with uh, Iowa, the runner-up in the Big Ten, playing against Kentucky in the Citrus Bowl. Ooh. Oh, the, uh, okay. That's not a good matchup for Iowa. You think? I, I think Kentucky's going to take them to the woodshed. <laughs> well, just with their speed and everything else. Yep, yep, and and our ex player, Wandale Robinson, their super, superstar, is going to have a big day. Mm -hmm. Yep, it'll be nice at least to see uh, Wandale having success. I always like seeing that. 
Um, he, he was he was a guy that even though he wasn't happy with how he was being used when he was at Nebraska because we were we were using him because we had we didn't have our stuff together. We were using him in ways that he was not built to be used, even though he's a great football player. And so we were just using him as a football player, not in his highest and best spot. Now he's in a situation where he's being used by that offensive coordinator because they have other components in place. And um, um, it, he's going to be a special talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about NFL. We'll see on that. But but as a college player, the guy's a stud. He always gave great effort. That's definitely true. And then uh, in the Fiesta Bowl this year, we've got uh, number five Notre Dame playing against number nine Oklahoma State. Wow. Okay, that's right. I remember this one. Um, yeah. And again, Notre Dame with a new coach. Mm-hmm. I I have a feeling Notre Dame's going to be playing really really hard for this new coach. Mm-hmm. So well, and, and uh, he's somebody who got promoted from within, so he's getting yes. into it into the groove of it right away. Absolutely. I uh, I would pick Notre Dame in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I picked Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve Championship game, and they kind of disappointed me with their. Uh, results against Baylor, you know, we talked about how Baylor was able to really shut them down offensively for the majority of that game. Um, and Notre Dame is talented enough that I think they could do something similar. So. Right. They're going to have that game film to look at. And uh, the new coach from Notre Dame was their defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he's going to have that defense locked and loaded. Yep. Um, yep. So the the real question would be, what is Oklahoma State's defense, which was actually one of the better defenses in the Big 12 this year. So the question is, what what defense shows up for them? You know, yep. if Oklahoma State can hang, hang in there, then we're going to be good to go. Yep. So, And then another Big 12 team, of course, the Big 12 champion this time, uh, Baylor is playing against number eight Ole Miss in the Sugar Bowl. Um, so kind of a, another Big 12 SEC matchup there. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, uh, you know, even though I was kind of frustrated with some of Dave Aranda's decisions, I'm going to go with my guy, Dave Aranda in this situation, even though Ole Miss has been very successful this year and, you know, uh, um, Lane Kiffin has really started making that into a program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's... He might finally mature. He might finally be maturing as a head coach. Yeah, yeah, it's taken him some time, but it seems like he's getting there. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think on that one? Who would you pick? I I think I'm going to lean Ole Miss on this one um, just yeah. because I expect that SEC talent to come out to play. And even though we were just talking about how you know Baylor was able to shut Oklahoma State down uh, offensively for most of the game, right? When I came in to start watching, that was when Oklahoma State had that long, nice drive where they're getting first downs and literally came like a centimeter away from winning <laughs> as their dude extended for the pylon. So Baylor right. nearly uh, scuffed that victory for themselves. They did. Uh, so I don't know if they'll be able to hold on against a talented SEC team like Ole Miss. You know, you may be right on that. We'll see. And then uh, this one we'll give a prediction on, our last uh, bowl game to discuss here, Ohio State versus Utah in the Rose Bowl. Um, Utah being the actual Pac-12 champion, while Ohio State, uh, you know, 
coming second fiddle to Michigan this time in the S in that, that division of the big 10. Right. Right. And um, yeah, that's an interesting matchup because I mean, Utah was a team that was playing as well as just about anybody in the country. I mean, if this had been an NCAA basketball tournament type of structure, Utah would have been the team that no one wanted to play, right? They would have wanted to stay away from them just because they had looked so good. Now, maybe that was partially because they were playing Oregon twice, a team that maybe wasn't fully invested uh, because they knew something about their coach not being uh, there uh, for the long haul or something. You know, you never know what the internal team dynamics are that are going on in a situation like that. And so was it that Utah was really that crisp and perfect, or is it more likely that um, it's uh, Utah just benefiting from Oregon being discombobulated? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of leaning in a similar way. Um, You know, there is the question of uh, Ohio State's, you know, focus, right? Because obviously, uh, even though they're going to the Rose Bowl, um, it's a bit of a disappointing result for them. They thought they'd be in the playoff again this year. Um, They got kind of trounced by Michigan this time around. Um, And so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of their big players maybe uh, sit out of one of these bowl games, which I think would then, then I think I would definitely lean towards Utah, who's probably happy to you know be there, right? Because they kind of yeah they they weren't expected to win the Pac-12 this year, um, so I think from that if that's how it plays out, I think Utah wins. If Ohio State uh, does keep its players and comes focused, I think they win pretty solidly. Yeah, the the the, the real matchup here for me uh, on for on the. Uh, the Utah side is how do they match up defensively against Ohio State's offense and specifically Ohio State's wide receivers and quarterback, who are obviously very good. I mean, you know, until the Michigan game, that quarterback Stroud was was one of the top Heisman candidates. So um, what happens in this interim, right? Um, so this is where I think we're going to see a little – get a little insight into Ryan day because he's got some, you know, gaps in the armor that he needs to get shored up and, and having time to prepare for this bowl game is the opportunity for him to do that with all of this talent that he's got. He's going to have more talent at his disposal than Utah does, but Utah's coach is probably one of the best coaches at maximizing what he gets out of his talent. And you can almost be assured they're going to be sharp and ready to go. So it'll take a great effort from Ohio State to win this game. But Ohio State's the more talented team. So can 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 uh, um, the Ohio State coaching staff get their players committed and involved enough to, to get there? Um, but it is the Rose Bowl still, see, and that still carries a lot of weight to Big Ten um, teams and players. So I think that's a saving grace for Ohio State uh, to avoid maybe the big letdown. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Ohio state here and, and say that, that the Ohio state talent rises to the occasion, especially with all this time to prepare. And they take the, they take the whole Rose bowl thing seriously. And they go out there and, and they just have too much offense uh, for Utah to, to keep up. Okay. What's your score prediction for that one then? Hmm. Okay. I'm going to say that, um, um, 
Utah is going to score some points. So Utah is going to score 28 points, but Ohio State is going to co- score 38 points. Okay. Yeah, I'm leaning towards Ohio State as well. Um, I actually work down in Pasadena, so when I drive down there, they've got you know the banners up on the light poles for the Rose Bowl and everything already. Um, so I know it, it's coming here. It's coming. Um, so yeah, I'm going to predict the Ohio State wins, and I agree that Utah is going to score some points. Um, I'll actually go a little higher scoring. I'll say Utah gets 35, and Ohio State has to score 42 to win. Okay. There we go. Now we get to those semifinal games, which, of course, we talked a bit about last week, but we'll talk a little more in depth here. Um, And we'll start with the Cotton Bowl, which is, of course, Alabama versus Cincinnati. Um, Last I looked, Cincinnati was minus 13.5 underdogs going into this game. And there's no doubt that uh, they are going to be major underdogs. Um, I hold out some small amount of hope that they catch Alabama a bit unprepared, a bit relaxed, and are able to uh, surprise people and pull off the great greatest Cinderella story we've ever seen. Uh, but that's a small, small hope in my heart. I think Alabama's going to uh, take control early and just hold that lead. I'm going to say that uh, Cincinnati will surprise Alabama uh, early with with a a, a well uh, constructed and organized drive and uh, you know at the end of the first quarter it'll still look like it's a game but by halftime Alabama will start flexing its muscles and then in the second half Alabama pretty much um, solidifies the victory now I also believe that Alabama probably won't in this case since there's another game after it you know uh, won't run up the score like they might be inclined to do if it was a national championship game or a conference championship game. Um, so um, I believe uh, it'll be, end up being a comfortable victory for Alabama because they will have control defensively as well as on offense. Uh, but um, uh, he'll call off the dogs once he gets about a 28 point lead. So I'm going to say it's going to end up being like 35 to seven uh, Alabama. Oof. Uh, I think I, I, I'm going to presume that Cincinnati is going to score more than that. Uh, this isn't the, the Alabama defenses of, you know, your right. Like they're, they're still obviously very good, but they're not, you know, to the level that we've seen them at in the past. Right. So I think Cincinnati is going to score some points, uh, but I think Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner and Alabama's offense are going to score more. Uh, so Alabama yeah. is going to win, but I'm going to predict a higher scoring game. Let's say it's Cincinnati uh, 21 to Alabama uh, 45. Okay. All right. That's a good that, – you got it right, I think. That's probably a, a better uh, assessment than me as I listen to your logic. I think you're very sound there. Well, thank you. Uh, yes. and, and then <laughs> we've got the other semifinal, the Orange Bowl, which is Michigan against Georgia. Uh, and I'm going to be the optimist here and say that uh, Michigan is uh, play, kind of like Utah, right? They're playing their best football here at the end of the year. Um, you know, uh, they did have some shaky moments against Iowa, right? It was That game was closer than the score would lead you to believe. But, you know, they were still in control for the whole game and they really were impressive against uh, Ohio State. So they're very excited to be here, you know, versus Georgia, who's 
was undefeated and then kind of got rocked by Alabama. And so they're still in the playoff, but, uh, you know, they're not in the position they thought they would be in. Right. Um, and I'm going to hope that Harbaugh has come with a really good game plan, even though it's, uh, down in Florida, right. Obviously closer to Georgia. Um, but, uh, I, Definitely don't want to see a rematch of Georgia versus Alabama in the national championship game. So I'm going to be an optimist here and predict that Michigan is going to beat Georgia. Um, I think both defenses will come ready to play. You know, Michigan has relied on their running game, and I'm blanking on his name, but their great running back who's gotten great. Well, they really have two. So Gorham and then uh, the other guy, I think his last name starts with the, like, not Wilson, but. I feel like it's an M or a W. Yeah. But anyway. Well, yeah. The, yeah. the guy we can't remember is the one who really went off on Ohio State. Um, right. But, of course, Georgia's got that great defense. Um, and we saw them be able to stop Alabama's run sometimes, but they also kind of got tired, right? And their uh, size was kind of used against them by Alabama. So I think Michigan should take a, a note out of Nick Saban's playbook there and see what they can do with that. So uh, I'm going to predict that Michigan wins, but it'll be a close, good game. And I'm going to say it'll end up being uh, Michigan, let's say, what would that be? Uh, 24 to uh georgia 21 wow okay so you're thinking a little well uh so i i like your logic on this one too alex um um however i think and maybe this is you know i I mean i voiced myself quite a bit here i i hate i hate this playoff combination i hate what they did they should have they should have done whatever they had to do to manipulate the data because they had the ability to do it so that they would have created a matchup of, of, uh, you know, Alabama against, uh, Georgia and then uh, Michigan against Cincinnati so that they would be guaranteed uh, a, a national championship game that had two regions of the country represented and not be an sec championship game. So there's part of me that wants it to be a national championship game so I can boycott this sec bullshit. Okay. So, uh, with that said, I'm going to say it's a Georgia, um, it's a Georgia victory, but like you, it's going to be close, but I think it'll be higher scoring. So I'm going to go like 35, 31 Georgia on top, uh, in that game. And then which would then put together an Alabama, Georgia national championship. Now you've mentioned this boycott on two episodes now. But you do realize that you're on a podcast that talks about college football, right? <laughs> I, 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 do, I do. But I, I'm just so, so sick of this screwed up system that keeps allowing, you know, um, so much manipulation from media partners and things like that that lead to this, these decisions that all line up perfectly to support one particular conference. And I'm tired of it. So, you know, it's it's diminished my ability to enjoy the rest of the sport because now it's almost a write-off that the SEC is going to win the championship pretty much every year or at least, um, you know, 70 80% of the time every year because they're going to be gifted the path. Mm-hmm. And I'm sick of it. 
sick of it. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, yeah, we, we've got plenty of uh, fodder for discussion for the off season this year oh, yeah. um, oh, between yeah. all the different craziness going on in college football and on NIL and all that sort of stuff and the SEC, Absolutely. you know, the conference realignment and all that, all that stuff. So um, there'll be plenty to keep us talking here uh, as we get into January. Yes. So you're, you're predicting a, a, a Michigan versus Alabama national championship game. Mm-hmm. And I'm predicting a Georgia versus Alabama national championship game. So neither of us are going swinging for the fence and going after Cincinnati on this, on this projection, uh, not really sticking our arms out too far. I, I like your Michigan pick. I almost, I, you know, I kind of want to pick Michigan because I want to be a little bit of a big 10 homer. And I, and I would love it if we did get that, but I just have this sneaky suspicion that uh, George is going to be a little angry because of the way they performed in that Alabama um, game. And, and they're going to come out fired up. And I suspect that the head coach um, smart is, is going to be less than pleased with his defensive coordinator who let him down in some respects uh, against Alabama. Yep. Well, not to mention that same defensive coordinator is leaving for the Oregon job. Right. Exactly. So, so he's going to tell him, listen, if you're here, you need to be here. You need to be all in, Mm -hmm. you know? So Uh, I, I was, I was curious when you talked with uh, Brian Clower, um, our Michigan friend and big super fan, what was his thoughts on them playing Georgia? Well, he seemed reasonably optimistic. I would say that, you know, he's, he's always, you know, um, takes the, uh, worst case scenario. So he's, he's probably stating publicly and outwardly that, uh, that, you know, George is likely to beat him. But I know that he believes that, that Michigan is certainly capable of beating Georgia and he can clearly see, uh, a, a Michigan versus Alabama championship game. But then he thinks, we would get crushed by Alabama. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I hope Michigan makes it there at least, you know, beating Georgia and making the national championship, even if they lose to Bama, you know, yeah. that would still be uh, a victory oh, for them huge. for this season. Oh, absolutely. Well, they, it already is, you know, and so uh, Brian has shared that he feels like at this point, it, it, everything else is gravy. You know, they're, they're, they're raking in recruits right now. I mean, everything is positive for Michigan right now. They're, 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 they've already gained enormous momentum from that whole deal. Yeah. And the uh, running back's name that we were forgetting earlier is uh, Hassan Haskins. Haskins. So it wasn't an M or a W. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Not quite. But <laughs> you could pat yourself on the back for that one, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Woo-hoo. All right. So, yep, uh, next podcast we do, we should be uh, either we'll be talking about some sort of urgent Nebraska news that might pop up, you know, something crazy on coaching side of things national football wise, or we'll be uh, chatting about some of the bowl games and the semifinals and all that fun stuff in person. Uh, maybe right. we can, I, I was just thinking if if uh, if Michigan does beat Georgia, we've got to get Clower on that podcast, I think. Oh, yeah, I agree. And here's the thing is that um, um, the the thing that drives me even more crazy about this is those two semifinal games 
are on New Year's Eve day and evening. Who's the idiot who thought that was a good idea? Because they ought to be taken outside the barn and, and get the shit kicked out of them. Yep. Well, because like you you mentioned on a past uh, on last week's podcast, and actually when I was putting up some of our older archive podcasts, I remember listening to one where we were talking about that same issue of the New Year's Eve game, and they ran it that particular year, whichever year that was, and it didn't go well. They got bad ratings, and they switched it the next ter- year. So I don't, right. I don't understand what the logic is of trying it again. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense at all to me. And they're going to tell you it has to do with what day of the week New Year's Day falls on and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, what they got to do to avoid their commitments with the NFL and their television partners and not interrupting, uh, you know, other things that are already scheduled. But I'm sorry, even if you had to push out the, you know, th- this insistence that a national championship game has to be on a Monday night, which which they've started doing, right? Where the where the game now is not even on a Saturday. The national championship game is on a Monday night. Uh, you know, push it out another day. Make it Tuesday. Make it Wednesday. That national championship game can be one or two days later. It's already into the second semester. There's just no reason for them to have these two semifinal games be on anything other than New Year's Day. They should be on New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's just, to me, it's crazy. What I'm looking right now, New Year's Day is on a Saturday this year. So it seems obvious, right? Yeah. So if that's true, why in the heck wouldn't you have put those two games on Saturday? Because they want to have the national championship games on their own day. They don't want it watered down with all kinds of other coverage. They want to be able to build up to those two games and have the exclusive audience. So that's why they need to have. And so then they, if they had all those games, if they had those games, then, then uh, what do they do with all the bowl games? Right. So that's, that's the challenge they keep having. Mm-hmm. So my argument would be then, then have the semifinals. If you're not going to do them on the, on the new year's day, because you don't want to integrate them with, you know, the Rose bowl and, and the uh, other bowl games that are, um, you know, traditional on New Year's Day, then do it on Monday and then have the national championship game on the following Tuesday if you want to have, you know, eight days in between the games or whatever so you can build up more uh, hype. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just the, the, the logic of it is lost on me because I, I know that at the end of the day, it's all about them trying to maximize dollars for their media partners spelled ESPN or, you know, Satan, devil, whatever you want to use. <laughs> Beelzebub. <laughs> Beelzebub, yes. All right. Okay, so for those out there who enjoyed listening to this podcast, you could reach <laughs> out to us if you search for College Football Throwdown on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, you can uh, leave us a rating or review there. We always love hearing from the fans. Uh, you can also reach out to us at huskrepeat13 at gmail.com. We'll read your comment out on the air if you like and respond to it for you. Uh, so thank you all out there for listening, and thank you, Dad, for joining me for this particular episode. Until next week, go Big Red. Go Big Red.